on 9-11, uh, <clears throat> I was working in London uh, for Lehman Brothers. And uh, Lehman had a, a fairly big office in London, probably two, two or 3,000 people uh, that, that worked there. And as was typical in a uh, investment bank with trading floors and all that, everybody was keeping track of the, the TV monitors that were around, around, the, uh, around the, all the floors in the bank just to you know, keep track of everything that was going on with CNBC, MSNBC, and some of the British uh, business stations as well. Um, so I was on the floor at the time when, um, you know, the, the CNN, I think it was a CNN feed popped up and they showed the smoke coming out of the, uh, out of the North tower after, uh, after the first plane had gone in and, um, I was trying to recall whether my dad actually worked in, in that tower or worked in the South tower. Cause he, uh, back in the first, um, the first world trade center bombing, he had worked on the 106th floor of the South tower, uh, which was the tower that was, uh, you know, hit by the, the van bomb that was in the, in the, went into the parking garage there. And, uh, you know, he, he was, you know, that's the highest floor in, in the world trade center. And he was, uh, essentially trapped up there for, uh, the better part of half a day, um, and actually went up to the roof for a while. And then they had to walk down 106 flights to, uh, uh stairs to get out of the building on that day. So I, I, uh, I couldn't remember if they had moved back into the South tower or his company had moved into the North tower. So. Um, but nevertheless, I, I, uh, went back into my office, uh, at Lehman brothers and, uh, called his office phone. Um, and he, uh, I got his voicemail. Um, and I just said, you know, dad, I saw that the North tower, uh, has been hit. Uh, I don't know what you're aware of, but you should probably get out of the building. Um, you know, it was just interesting watching the commentary at the time um, when the South Tower, which was the second building that was hit, uh, was hit by an airplane. The commentators at the time, again, I think it was CNN, were, uh, were commenting about how they thought that there must be some air traffic control system failures that would uh, direct planes in a, in a way that they would fly into a building, which when you, when you hear that now just sounds kind of crazy, but you know, there was so much confusion on that day. You didn't really know, uh, what was going on. Um, and so, um, I called my mom at, she was a, she worked in a, in a medical uh, facility in New Jersey. And I called her to, uh, just check in to see if she had heard from dad and she was not even aware of anything. She had just come into her, you know, into the medical office before the world trade center bombing. Um, it was just kind of going about her business and wasn't even aware of, uh, what was going on at the time. So that uh, obviously she was, uh, shocked by that and, um, and, and concerned, um, 
So I, I called, called my wife uh, who was walking down the, the, uh, the street in, in the village in London where we lived. And uh, she stopped actually in front of a, a TV uh, audio store and could see some of the images on the, on the TV. There was a long period of no, no news. There was probably, uh, um, you know, I, I don't think we heard uh, from my dad probably until six or seven hours later uh, in London, um, you know, what the status of it was. So there was a, there was a very kind of dark period of time where we just didn't, didn't know you know, what was, go what was going on. And part of the problem was, uh, <clears throat> you know, at the time there was no uh, ability to communicate all the phone lines, uh, especially internationally were down. Like you could not make a call from London in, in to the US. So I think it was, you know, I came home, my brother actually lived in London at the same time. Uh, he and his wife and, and his kids, uh, we all gathered at, at our house, just waiting for, uh, you know, waiting for word on, on what had happened. And, uh, you know, at dinner time, my sister who lived in Boston called and she said that she had talked to my mom and my mom had talked to my dad uh, who was finally able to get uh, word from the hospital that he was in to her. And then she, you know, then she called, um, she called my sister in Boston and then my sister called us and um, we, uh, you know, she said that the dad was alive. He was in the hospital. He had been, uh, you know, cut up quite extensively just with flying debris and flying glass, um, but that he was alive and, you know, in stable condition. So he was not seriously injured, just a lot of kind of debris uh, damage from, you know, kind of the flying glass and, and building products. Um, and uh, so that was, that was huge just to be able to go to, go to bed that night knowing that he was alive. And then I called him, I called him the next morning uh, and the, you know, the lines, the phone lines were finally freed up that I could place an outbound call. So I called him uh, at the hospital where I knew he was staying. Um, and this was probably four in the morning, New York time. And he was just up having, you know, a cup of tea and we, you know, just had a great, you know, great conversation. And he was, you know, he was in, he was in good condition and wasn't quite sure when he was going to be able to get out of the hospital, but he was, uh, you know, he was in good, good condition and well taken care of there. One of the things he did say that was interesting was that the hospital was braced for uh, a significant uh, influx of potential uh, patients to treat. And the hospital was, you know, deathly quiet. There was no, there were so few people that uh, actually survived uh, the, you know, the, the collapse and, you know, there was hardly anybody, hardly anybody to treat in that, uh, in, in the neighboring hospitals. So 
um, you know, we, we had an opportunity just to share about like, what was, what was his journey like in getting, getting out of the, uh, the world, the world trade center. And he said, I, you know, I was sitting in my office. He was on the 91st floor of the North tower. He actually faced North, which was like, if you think about the orientation of Manhattan, he was looking towards central park. Uh, and he saw the plane come in. I mean, he, the, uh, studies that were done afterward uh, showed that the 91st floor was the highest floor in the North Tower that anybody got out. Um, and so, you know, he's the, the plane basically came in two or three stories above his head. He saw it come in. He felt the impact. He knew exactly what was happening. Um, he, um, you know, he the kind of the ceiling collapsed. His bookcases fell over. You know, his office was kind of, you know, collapsing around him, um, not to the point where he couldn't get out, but he had to climb over a bunch of debris in order to be able to get out. And uh, one of the funny things when you look at the photos is he's carrying his briefcase. So he, he actually had the, the presence of mind to actually grab his briefcase on, on the way out. I think it had his passport in there as well as uh, his phone book uh, so that he could call my mom when, when he got to safety. Um, there were, uh, a number of people in the office who had, had gone through the, I think it was the, I think it was 98 was the, was the other world trade center bombing. I may be off on the years, but anyway, um, one of the things that they all experienced, uh, at that time was that their plants died while they were locked out of their office. So there were literally people that were watering their plants before they left because they wanted them still to be alive when they came, when they came, when they came back. And so my dad was like, no, we, we have to leave there. You're, you're not coming. You're not coming back into this, uh, into this building. And uh, so they, I think there were probably 15 or 20 people in his office and they, they all left together and started walking down 91 flights because there was no uh, no one alive above them or no one that's gonna you know in retrospect were, were trapped up above the 91st floor they had you know pretty clear sailing for a big chunk of the of the walk down thank god um, so they were able to go relatively relatively quickly uh, at least on the first you know 30 or 40 floors on their on their way down you know, one of the things he, he did talk about afterward was uh, just they, they walked in single file down the right side of the stairs while firefighters and police officers walked up in the other direction to, to see what they could, you know, see if they could save people and you know, in all likelihood, all those, uh, you know, first responders were, were killed when the building ultimately collapsed. But, um, you know, there was a steady progression of, uh, you know, firefighters and police officers going up while they were, while they were coming down. So he, he ultimately got down to the, to what I would characterize almost as a basement level in the World Trade Center um, that, uh, you know, it was kind of like a, a combination food court and you know there was banks banks and you know uh, a lot of restaurants down there dry cleaning you know it was just a, it was basically a, a kind of an underground mall for the thousands of people that worked in 
that World Trade Center, and it was kind of a, a labyrinth that you would you could move from one building to another through a series of underground tunnels, and um, it was a big commuter station. There was a uh, the path, uh, which was the New Jersey commuter station, emptied into the World Trade Center. So there was a big a big subway station there, and um, uh, when he was he made it down ninety one floors down into this kind of subterranean level. And when he was down there, uh, which was was when the South Tower, which was the second tower hit by the plane, uh, that was the first one, even though it was a second tower hit, it was the first plane, the first tower to collapse. So it collapsed while he was down in that subterranean level. And uh, the implosion of that building was like you can't even imagine the force that was underneath that he he was um you know as as that building was collapsing he was literally blown across the concourse level that's when all the glass uh was shattering all the you know all the metal was tearing off and in that concourse plaza and uh you know and the and it went completely dark uh So he was, you know, he was down there. He had kind of in all the traffic had been separated from his his co-workers at that point in time. But, you know, he was down there with a number of other people um, at, at the time. And after a few minutes, you know, af after the after the tower collapsed and everything settled down, um, you know, there was this kind of this strange quietness and strange stillness down there. And um, there was a, a guy, there was a guy who appeared down in that concourse that had uh, like just a high powered flashlight. And he just kind of turned it on and everybody that was down there that was alive and could move kind of flocked toward him, you know, just like a, a moth flock, you know, flies toward a light. And uh, that gentleman led, led everybody through kind of all these underground tunnels out to uh, the surface street, which was may maybe two block, two or three blocks away from, um, the South Tower. And I mean, you know, my dad today is convinced that I was just an angel. Because like, he just disappeared. They never saw him again. And uh, he just, he just led them out of the led them out of the building and to into safety. And as my dad was walking down the street, um, there was a freelance photographer, a guy by the name of Phil Penman, who's a very famous uh, New York City freelance photographer. He's uh, worth following on Instagram if you don't, but he's just got beautiful uh, photography of New York City and all kinds of different uh, all kinds of different con conditions. Uh, he was the, he was on the scene. He he took some of those uh, some of the pictures that I that I sent to you and they were included in that document and. Um, he uh and this was while so my dad was walking away from the building and he came 
toward an ambulance and uh, some of the first responders there basically said, you know, sir, you're, you're badly cut up. I don't think my dad even knew he was cut up uh, with all the adrenaline flowing and they uh, put, put him in, the, put him in the uh, ambulance and took him uh, to, to the hospital. And as they were doing that was when the, the North tower collapsed. So it was like, you know, they were watching as they were pulling away from uh, the scene, the North, the, the North tower collapsing. So he made it out by, I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes uh, to spare. You know, there was lots of things that contributed to uh, him, him getting out, you know, a quick response, you know, getting, getting off the 91st floor as quickly as possible, uh, you know, being guided by that uh, uh, flashlight bearing angel out of the building. And um, so they took him to the hospital for, you know, what turned out to be relatively minor, you know, stitches and staples and things like that to kind of patch him back up. Um, so the next day in the morning, we, we subscribed to a bunch of London newspapers, one of which was the Daily Telegraph. And the Daily Telegraph had a whole pictorial, you know, like, I don't know, 15, 20 pages of uh, just photographs as an insert uh, into that. Uh, newspaper and when I opened it I, you know there was a picture of my dad just walking down the street holding his <laughs> holding his briefcase I'm like oh my gosh that's like that is crazy that that photographer caught him in that moment and I was able to see that in uh in my newspaper in London so I got a hold of the photographer well I got a hold of the newspaper asked them where they got that photograph and actually told them about my dad's, you know, my dad is British. Uh, he was born in the Northeast of England up in a, in a town called uh, Gateshead, uh, Newcastle area. And, um, and I have a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins that live up in that area. And, uh, and so there, it, it became, you know, uh, a little bit of a, once they put a, a name to the face that was in the newspaper. Um, there were lots of people that wanted to interview my interview my dad and and talk with him about that experience, both you know, uh, in in the U.S. U.S. newspapers as well as in the uh, as well as in the British newspaper. So it was a you know I saw that photograph before I talked to him, so I knew that he was alive and I could I could actually <laughs> visibly see it. Um, and that, you know, that gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of peace as well. So I think it was probably, I don't remember exactly, but it was probably two or three days later before, um, the police allowed traffic in and out of Manhattan. Um, so the part of the problem was he could not, even though he was fine and could, you know, could get a, get around, he wasn't able to go home from the hospital because, um, because the police had put restrictions on traffic in and out of Manhattan. And so uh, finally he was able to uh, call his driver that um, he used for you know, transports to the airport and things like that, uh, who, came into, uh, who came into Manhattan from New Jersey and picked him up and brought him, uh, brought him home. And uh, you know, he, he loved my dad too, so he was very emotional about, uh, you know, about being able to do that and uh, kind of experience that, that reunion between, uh, between my mom and my dad.
So um, I would say after that, he um, he suffered a fair bit of like what I would characterize as post-traumatic stress. Uh, my mom said that she would have to uh, change the sheets in the bed every night because he was just like, he would break out in uh, sweats like all night long. Like he was just, you know, at a hyper, hyper alert state of mind. And, um, you know, would just kind of like for weeks or months would, you know, just kind of, you know, was suffering from PTSD in particular, um, you know, but eventually that, you know, that died down. He, he went back to work. Uh, fortunately, they, they took uh, a, a low, <laughs> you know, a six-story uh, suburban office complex in, in New Jersey to, you know, work as their next office. So they never, um, you know, they didn't go back into a, into a high building again. And, and, I, and, you know, I think he probably worked for another two or three years after that until, until he retired. And one of the things that he, he did that was interesting was he was a regular uh, speaker to, um, you know, especially in his retirement years, he would go to, you know, junior highs and high schools, uh, you know, around 9-11 and tell his story. And a lot of the kids that he was talking to literally they weren't alive back and you know back when that happened or they were such little kids they they had no awareness of that so he would you know he would go to local uh he they retired in the hudson ohio area and he would go to uh you know kiwanis clubs and, and he actually spoke at the federal reserve uh in downtown cleveland one year to share his experience on 9-11 so he he was very active in, you know, sharing his experience uh, and, you know, really, especially with the kids, you know, it was always a fascinating story for them to hear some, you know, somebody who had, uh, you know, experienced it and gone, gone through it in real time. And uh, he, you know, I think his faith uh, played a huge role in his recovery. I think he uh, was, thankful God protected him in that moment and and uh you know realized that that was part of God's plan for his life and you know just uh, embraced embraced that um and so I think that was a big you know that was a big part of his uh his recovery uh, in addition to some counseling as well but you know in particular he he leaned heavily on God in those in those moments and you know, now he's 83. Um, he is suffering from, you know, advanced stages of dementia um, and lives in a memory, you know, a memory care facility in, in the Hudson, Ohio area. And, you know, I don't know if any of, of that is attributable to 9-11, but there's been a lot of studies that have shown that many of the first responders in particular that were on site and breathing some of the toxic fumes and chemicals that were uh, in, in the area as a result of all the burning uh, you know, plastics and other uh, building products that were, you know, were lingering as a result of the, of the tower collapse um, 
have contributed to a, kind of a scary level of advanced early onset dementia. Um, was he impacted by that? Kind of hard to tell, but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it is a reality. Was that there was a lot of young, you know, 30, 40 year old uh, first responders that. Uh, started to experience early onset dementia in their, you know, kind of early 50s and early 60s. So there's definitely, you know, some some linkage between the two. Don't know exactly what it is. So he's, you know, if you asked him today, he wouldn't, you know, he had no, he would have no recollection of of 9/11, which may be a blessing for him. But uh, that's why I wrote that. You know, I call it a journal. You know, journal entry. It was just like one of those things where. I, I needed to put it, put it on paper in order to be able to kind of sort it out in my own mind and kind of, you know, yeah, I needed, I needed to kind of use it to help clarify my thoughts and, and my feelings and just, you know, help me process through everything that had gone on in a very short period of time. Um, and, and that was a, that was a cathartic, uh, that was a cathartic process. I think part of the challenge was I couldn't go see him. You know, there was a lot of travel restrictions that were imposed after that. Um, there was a lot of uh, the kind of a, just the world was unsettled and I didn't want to leave London and go back to New Jersey to see him as much as I wanted to see him. I couldn't. I couldn't really do that just from a, from a family perspective of my wife, I had three, three young kids at the time. It was just like the, the separation would not have been good for, for us as, as a family at that point in time. So that was, that was very challenging to kind of wrestle with the desire to go and see him and, you know, lay my eyes on him. So my oldest daughter, Lucy was, uh, she would have been six. And then my uh, middle daughter, Sophie, would have been four. And then my youngest was uh, about eight, 18, yeah, like 18 months old, something like that. So, yeah. And so my, uh, my oldest daughter, Lucy, was, was in school at the time um, in, a British, in a British school there. And uh, it was sweet. She, when we had dinner that night, she prayed. just, you know, because we knew at the time that my dad had, had, was safe. And so she just prayed, thanking God that he was okay. And, um, you know, she probably suffered more post-traumatic stress than I did. I mean, (laughs) when you look back at some of the artwork that she did at the time, there were lots of, you know, towers with, you know, fire coming out of them and airplanes flying into them and, and things like that. So there was lots of, you know, lots of, uh, you know, she was definitely aware and was kind of, uh, uh, you know, traumatized by the, traumatized by the events as, you know, just based on the artwork that she was creating at the time with, you know, the balance of, you know, taking care of my, you know, taking care of my family. We ultimately did have a reunion uh, at Thanksgiving that year. So it was probably three months later. Uh, he came over and we had a big family reunion, including his sisters and uh, and 
all my cousins up in Northern England, we had a, we had a nice, a nice family reunion up there. So that was, that was the first time that I saw him after, uh, uh, after nine 11. And it was, you know, it was great to be reunited and see him, see him in person. Yeah. You know, there were some books that were written that featured him, a book called September 11th, an oral history by an author named Dean Murphy, who was a New York Times reporter at the time. Uh, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six. The sixth chapter says George and Stephen Slay, a father one floor from certain death, a frantic son an ocean away. Um, so he has, you know, he has other, he interviewed my dad. So he has my dad's. He kind of interspersed the piece that I wrote together with my inter the interview with my dad, and he just kind of went back and back and forth, kind of giving what each of us was experiencing at the at the same time. It was pretty cool. But he, you know, he was the one that did the analysis that showed that like the ninety first, there was nobody that re that basically got out uh, above the ninety first floor. You know, more so for my dad than for me. It was a kind of a life altering uh, event in, in his life. I think he, um, you know, I love, I love the fact that he had the generosity to uh, share, share his story with people, you know, like, he, he, you know, he could have easily just internalized it or brushed it off or whatever, but uh, you know, he's probably given his, 9-11 talk a couple hundred times to different different organizations and um you know like you know the process that you're going through you know talked about it uh, to make it personal with other uh with a lot of people right so it, you know it's you know one of the things he remembered was you know the federal the federal reserve bank in cleveland invited him in to give a presentation or give his talk to uh, the entire Federal Reserve Organization they had a conference call every every Monday morning, and I think on 9/11 on one anniversary he came in and uh, you know gave his talk to you know thousands of Federal Reserve employees around around the world you know and uh, you know he, he he loved to do it and he loved to share his story and it's a great great story of survival but there's you know also a Kind of a bittersweet part of it on on everybody that uh that didn't didn't survive that day so it's uh you know he he uh, while he could he made uh he made the most of it and did a nice job of sharing that story with uh with a lot of people i usually get that piece out every every year and and reread it just to just to remember you know just to remember and you know thank god for his life you know, the picture that I sent that, that I sent you that has those three guys walking, you know, walking down the street in New York City, they didn't, they didn't know each other, right? They were just complete strangers that were all walking away from the, the, the scene at the time. And um, uh, some reporter got them, figured out who each of them was and reunited them. Uh, I think it was on maybe the 10th, the 10th anniversary of Maybe in the fifth, fifth or tenth, I don't remember. But um, 
so they they all got to meet each other and they were all part of this famous you know this famous picture but uh didn't know each other and literally you know all went off in different directions within minutes of each other all coming out of there so it was uh so there's been there's been some nice reunions that have come out of that uh out of that for those guys that had a shared experience uh as well